I want to thank my sponsor, Viva. Viva, thank you so much for making this show possible. Viva is here to change the game. They have electronic regulatory documents for sites for free with no commitment, no contract. I just signed up my site, Yuma Clinical Trials. No contract needed, nothing signed. They they just approve your email address and that's it. You're up and running with an electronic regulatory system, which is a great way if you haven't gotten into electronic anything yet. You need to consider it. It's it's free. Over 450 sponsors are using Viva for their backend stuff. Electronic signatures here, electronic uh, delegation of authorities log, all for free. Viva is going to keep giving sites free stuff because they're very site-centric. They they know that if they help empower the sites, even more sponsors are going to use their paid products on their end. They are the sponsors after all, so they pay for things. And they understand that making sites take control of their electronic systems is a huge first step. It's a huge commitment for sites, even for something that's free. And they're here to make it easy, and they're playing the long game. And anyways, go check it out underneath the video or the show notes below. Viva Site Vault. Thank you, Viva. How's it going, guys? We're live for the second time today. I'm working from home today. Got I got two websites to make. We're actually launching something I'm really excited about. Uh, you'll hear about it soon. I'm also working on my website uh, for Yuma Clinical Trials. We actually have, we're running some local ads in the paper for one of my research sites. Um, but this story, this is why, like news research, there's always things happening right now uh, in the world. But in our industry, things happen. I think monumental things happen. I think this is a monumental thing. Um, unfortunate, it's unfortunate because it's bad, but it's something that many people have been vocal against. Like, you know, we're in this bubble of DCT, all this non-traditional ideas for sites. Like, let's reimagine the site. Let's reimagine the patient experience. It started with virtual trials. And by the way, I think there's still a place for this. And there's two schools of thought here. One is that, hey, we're just really early and like things like this are going to happen. That could be the case. My school of thought, at least for right now, is we actually need more traditional sites, not more of these VC-backed imaginations that somehow they convince big companies like Pfizer to take a chance on them. So let me share my screen. And I got a couple, I've researched this. I've been home all day working from home. I've actually been researching this story for the last like few hours. So for those of you that may not know, this this came out today. Um, Pfizer pulls 50% of people from phase three Lyme disease study for GCP violations at US trial sites I actually shout out to Craig Lipset. He posted this breaking news. Um, he's obviously been a champion of innovations in our space for decades. I remember he was one of the first ones who is really trying to get like let's let's rethink, reimagine how we do clinical trials. And th there's definitely a place for that, and a place for people like Craig. Uh, 
But then the the one of the extremes of following that path gone wrong is this story. So Pfizer and Valneva, which is like Pfizer's co-sponsor, they're like a biotech. Um, they had an 18,000 patient healthy volunteer study who live in areas endemic uh, with Lyme disease. So mostly the Northeast um, and lifestyles that put them at risk of being bitten by ticks. This is like a huge thing in the East Coast. Lyme disease is a serious thing. This is obviously something that needs to be studied. As of last month, the study aimed to complete enrollment for the 6,000 subject primary efficacy readout, putting it and Pfizer on track to file for approval in 2025. Now the pivotal trial has suffered a serious setback. As Valneva explained in a statement, Pfizer, as the study sponsor, has decided to discontinue a significant percentage of participants in the U.S., these study participants representing approximately half of the total recruited patients. So, like, they're, they, they got 6,000. Now it's three, 3,000. Because following violations of GCP at certain clinical trial sites run by a third-party clinical trial site operator, the French vaccine developer said so. Certain sites run by a third-party clinical trial operator. We're going to get into who I believe. I don't have any proof. I don't know anything about this study. But I did some investigating. It's not hard to figure out who this is. I'll show you how I got to this conclusion. And you be the judge of who, who's to blame. As of an update in mid-December, Pfizer listed 79 study locations including some that were yet to start recruiting. 52 of the sites were in the U.S. The clinical trial remains active, and sites other than those operated by the third party are continuing to enroll. So it's not a complete disaster. But see, this selling point of, hey, we saw this in the 90s with the SMOs, the site management organizations, and it wasn't on this scale. But now we're seeing this with the DROs or the DCT, whatever they call themselves unconventional sites. Um, I think this bubble has popped or it's close to popping and we'll get into it. So the study is still going on uh, subject to the agreement of these regulatory agencies to, to propose modification of the clinical trial plan. So this is not a Pfizer, this is not a Pfizer or a sponsor co-sponsor um, issue. They're not responsible for, uh, failing to meet GCP or doing anything on their end. But they are responsible for the conduct of the entire trial because they are the sponsor. And most of the time, this is why sponsors don't like using sites of the same company to get the majority of their data from. In this case, it was half, roughly half of the data came from a company, which in this case, I don't know who it's going to be, but we're going to look and see. Um, Val Valneva saw its share price drop almost 9% on market. This is going to affect, this is serious stuff here. So I read that and I thought, okay, um, all right, let me see. Let me like read between the lines here. So I saw a few other press releases and I said, okay, 18,000 patients, healthy volunteers. This is crazy. Let me pull up clinicaltrials.gov. And see, see what clinicaltrials.gov um, 
has to say about this. So let me pull up the clinicaltrials.gov. I see some of the comments saying my bet will be some sort of incompetence at play here. Someone else says feels like this has to be a case of fraud or widespread site incompetence or both. A little bit of both. In my opinion, again, I'm just investigating this for the last few hours. I'm not, I don't know anything about this. I have my thoughts and opinions as someone who's been running research sites since 2005. Here's the clinicaltrials.gov uh, page for this study, right? It's, let's see here. This is the one, 18,000 healthy participants. And so what I do, I've been using this website for a decade and a half. I go down here to see 79 study locations. Okay, well, let's look. Care Access, Care Access mobile site. Stanford Health, Stanford Health. Okay, so far seems good. Let's go to Maine, Northern Light, Eastern Maine. Care Access, Care Access, Care Access. Okay, Maryland, you got Johns Hopkins, John Hopkins, John Hopkins, John Hopkins. But that makes sense because it's just Maryland. Massachusetts, you've got Pediatric Associates. Oh, you got Care Access, Care Access, Care Access, Care Access, Care Access, Care South Shore Medical Center, Care Access, Care Access, South Shore. Minnesota, you've got Clinical Research Institute. New Hampshire, you've got Care Access, Care Access. New Jersey, you've got Care Access. I'm going to, I mean, I think you're starting to see a trend here. Care Access, Care Access. Pennsylvania, care access, care access, care access, care access. You've got other private sites, care access, care access, care access. They're only in the U.S. So then you got Europe, where it's just regular sites and AMCs. So, okay. Now, I don't know for a fact that it's care access, but I'm also not stupid. And the article we just read said 50% of data was unusable because of GCP violations. So 50% of the sites from what I just looked at, clinicaltrails.gov, were care access. Now I'm on LinkedIn every day I've actually interviewed coordinators from Care Access just because Care Access kind of become really big in this industry. So they've been known to hire people with very little experience, train them, get them up to speed. I thought nothing of it. I was like, cool, this sounds like what everyone else is trying to do. Why Walgreens is trying to get into research, why CVS, and I'm not saying that Walgreens and CVS are capable of committing like these kind of GCP violations or negligence, negligence at best. And more will come out of this. This is the first day it's out. But then I wanted to look at, okay, well, what does CareAxis actually do? Because I remember on LinkedIn um, last week or a few weeks ago, maybe it was even as, as long as a month ago, I started seeing people on LinkedIn that I follow say, hey, um, you know, my company had a massive layoffs and it was Care Access. And there was, in fairness to Care Access, there was a bunch of other decentralized clinical trial companies that have had layoffs. Brad Hightower 
posted one. I can't, I, I can't remember which one it was. I don't want to say the wrong one, but their stock plummeted. There were some public DCT companies going out of business. And call it what you want. I mean, I don't, Care Access is in that mold of a non-traditional clinical research site that's here to disrupt the industry. But this is probably not the kind of disruption they were talking about. And the, probably not the type of disruption the industry had in mind. Like, we do need innovation in this space. It's a good idea on paper. Here's their website, Care Access. The hope for a cure Alzheimer's, like a logistical army, 152 research locations, 227 investigators, 300 plus clinical trials, 13 therapeutic areas, 434 coordinators, 100,000 patients screened per year. They're in the news. They get they get grants and stuff. They do things in Brazil. I mean, this is a big. They work with Eli Lilly. Then you read their industry innovation, DCT study implementation. Okay, so this is, it is fair for me to call it decentralized clinical trials, even though they call it a DRO, which is a decentralized research organization, which whatever that means, it means mobile sites on demand. So this kind of stuff, it looks so cool. Like, wow, you know, it makes sense. Look, look at their bus. Even the bus says accelerating the future of medicine for everyone. Like, that's awesome. Who who can argue with this? Um, On-demand deployment of mobile research teams within 24 to 48 hours. I remember reading papers, not just about Care Access, but companies like Care Access that are able to travel, you know, hiring traveling CRCs. And I'm not saying this business model doesn't work, but there's clearly something going on here where, like, if half of the study data that Pfizer invests in is invalid, it would have been much better for Pfizer to have picked, I read off what, like 30 sites at least, if not 50 sites, if they would have selected 20 traditional sites instead from different companies. Like, I mean, it doesn't have to be Yuma clinical trials, but I'm just using mine as an example. We're here. I don't think I would have done this study. We don't get Lyme disease in Yuma. But it's just an example of like finding other sites in the Northeast, small sites, independent sites. Even if one of them commits fraud or GCP violations, you're not throwing out 50% of your data. It's really stupid in my opinion. And these guys and gals at companies like Care Access, and I mean, they go to all the conferences. They sell their services. They, they're able to convince sponsors, hey, we're going to save you so much time and money. Look, we can send buses. Look, buses with clinicians come on and we can go ongoing management, rapid supplies, equipment, dispatch, maintenance, all this stuff. All right. This is their industry innovation. Sites on demand. Disappointed with the limited pool of active research sites. Extend your reach to previously non-research capable clinics and tap into new patient populations with sites on demand. Just let us know what type of patients you're looking for, and we'll build you new sites at handpicked clinics. So, look, they got all the bells and whistles that people like. But at the end of the day, I mean, all it takes is one bad apple, right? <laughs> Thank you, Brad. Brad, you're the one who, look, man, you've been a 
vocal critic of these kind of companies myself too and we've never singled out care access i don't even know who runs it you know i think we've been more vocal of some of the bigger names like cvs walgreens but look look what they're bragging about what they can do versus what people like me and brad and all the other site owners in this industry i have a new site it's not even that new it's a year and a half like you can't just get a coordinator an inexperienced one is that and say oh sponsor like let's scale this now give us 50 more sites no matter where you want them we'll go figure out a doctor in those areas and we'll send our traveling crcs there and don't worry we're like experienced at managing trials and all this stuff and we'll manage we'll manage the study well look what happens and even if this is the only example of of somebody who got caught right even if this is the only example i think it's a it's a it's a bad blow to the industry especially to dct i think the bubble might have popped i think we've been seeing the bubble pop on these kind of alternative radical um movements to to disrupt our industry and I think what we really need, like I was joking about it this morning with Maya Zlatanova on my live. I was up at 6 a.m. doing a live because she's in Europe. I didn't even know about this story then. And I was saying, you know what we actually need at sites? Somebody to buy a sandwich for our patients. That's what we need. That's the innovation we need. We don't need all this take a bus to this clinic and send a coordinator to that clinic on a on an airplane. Like... You know, as a site owner, I hate to say I told you so as a traditional site owner, but I told you so. And Brad saying, do we know any specific as to what GCP violations occurred that caused this? Does Pfizer CRO have some culpability here as well? Look, I got canceled last time for defending Pfizer. I got it thrown into YouTube jail for defending Pfizer against that that COVID whistleblower that looked like she was a disgruntled employee at a site. In this case, I'm not I'm not even putting the blame on Pfizer, but somebody got swindled. Either either somebody got swindled or somebody some middle man or woman set up the deal and probably lost a bunch of trust in the process. Um we don't know what GCP violations occurred. I'm guessing it would be serious ones like consenting issues. Just I'm trying to like as an operator myself, it's my first day off in a while. I'm in I'm usually in the clinic. That's why I haven't gone live as much. You can't cut corners on informed consent and you can't cut corners on certain things. Like these studies are also getting more complex as we are trying to decentralize more. At the same time, these studies are also getting more complex. Those two things do not mesh well together. It's like oil and water. Like if studies were getting easier, I could see how DCT could work. But while the industry is trying to force DCT, studies are getting harder. So you're, you're basically having sightless trials or mobile coordinators. Basically what that sounds to me is nobody's really managing anything. 
And I could see even at a site where you're micromanaging stuff, things happen. Patient forgets to date a certain page on a consent. Um, patient site forgets one tube of blood. Imagine doing that at scale because everyone's moving and nobody really knows what's going on. And how are you training? How are you guaranteeing? How are you guaranteeing adequate staff training on these complex protocols? Like with my three coordinators, I'm doing retrainings almost every week on some other aspect of the protocol that we figured out. So if we're running a DCT trial, I mean, I know I'm not as smart as these people running these DCT companies. Right, but I, I just can't figure out how they're doing it, how they're scaling it. Kellen says follow up and oversight are impossible. I I mean, yeah, unless unless Kellen, right, you and me are not that smart. And don't worry, Kellen, right, and Dan and Brad, they're smarter people than you guys running this stuff. That's all I got to say. And again, I don't know if it's care access. I'm just putting that out there for liability. If it's not care access, <laughs> I'm really sorry. But I mean, I just call it like I see it. I don't think it could be anyone else. I don't think it's Johns Hopkins. <laughs> they, I know AMCs. AMCs, they don't, they don't account for 50% of study accrual that quickly. They rely on industry-sponsored sites to do that. Uh, Vasca says their website says they operate as a single site with multiple branches. That didn't look like a single site. <laughs> that looked like it looks like from their website they don't have. It looks like from their website they don't have sites, right? It looks like from their website um, they're decentralized. This is like the thing. Myself, Brad, all the other critics, we're called haters and critics because we can't figure it out. But I still can't figure it out. I still can't figure it out. Like, how, how are you going to pull this off? Uh, Maria says, DCTR are a great way to increase diversity in trials. I hope whatever the issues are, we can learn from as an industry. Yeah, I think it's... It's uh, people got caught up in a bubble of DCT. Um, speaking from experience as a coordinator, getting a low margin for error as a coordinator when you start seeing patients and also with PIs who may not know much about research and the ethical ramif ramifications really takes a lot of time. History doesn't always repeat itself, but it rhymes. I'm old enough. I got grays in my beard. When I, I saw this play out on a much smaller scale with the SMOs, site management organizations. Same thing, smaller scale. No social media back then. And then then the industry got rid of SMOs. Now it's site networks or DCTs. And site networks, the traditional sites. This didn't seem like traditional sites. It seems like they take a bus to wherever the patients are. The traveling CRCs get there. Somehow things get done according to the protocol. Or maybe not. Who do patients contact about the study after signing the ICF if they have questions? What about revoking consent? Those are good questions, Callan. I don't know. It's for smarter people than us to figure out. 
Karina says I had recruited for the, I helped recruit for that study sucks that all that hard work and this is the result. I know I've interviewed. Thank you, Karina. I've interviewed people. I've talked to people from care access, good people like the workers. I never talked to any executive, but the workers, the coordinators, great place to get started. Hopefully you got out, you know, on this game of musical chairs before the music ended. Like, it's GCP violations at best, and you hope it's not fraud. Yeah, not a good look for that. We should all care about this, says Luke. Some sort of incompetence. Yeah. So that's it, guys. Like, that's it. There's going to be more. I just, it was not that hard. You know, shout out to Fierce Biotech for at least not having a paywall about this story. The the original article Craig Lipset shared was behind a paywall. I couldn't read it. I didn't want to pay for it. So I just looked, I kept looking. Fierce Biotech was on it. But they're they're trying, you know, all you need to do is take it one step further. Go to the kalenkotrials.gov. Let's see who the sites are. I was hoping I wouldn't get a Pfizer site in Connecticut, a Pfizer site in Arizona, a Pfizer site in New Hampshire, and I didn't. I got the actual names of the sites and just put two and two together and see what you think. So what are your views on DCT methods and what can be implemented? That's not for me, Christian. I don't have time to figure that out. I actually, I'm going to be frank with you. Like, I don't actually believe um, that's something that's doable because of, I think you need clinicians to buy in to the study and not just think, okay, well, you know, this is like, I'll trust these guys, but I'm just going to give them access to my patients. I, I don't think it works long-term. And that's for people who are into the DCT space to figure out. Not for me. I'm in the traditional site space. What I'm trying to do is get research naive physicians and clinicians to consider opening up their own sites and learning the process slowly one study at a time, not opening up hundreds of sites across the country and sending buses everywhere because you've got VC money. So that's not that's not for me to figure out. I'm not sure. I don't know. We got to consider philosophically, is this even worth fixing? Or should we just go back to the drawing board? I know there's a lot of money behind this. So that... What Dan risk management, what can we do to prevent this from happening? I think sponsors need to be smart about allowing 50% of their data to come from the same company. We've been, they're not stupid either. We've been told this before. Like I I've had at one point I had six sites that I owned and I remember trying to get a few studies for all six sites and the sponsors told me, Hey, we like to, we like to limit our, our exposure, our risk exposure. So that means I didn't have enough biz dev power to pull it off because Care Access was able to pull it off for 50% because they have biz dev people flying to conferences, whining and dining. That's how this stuff works. So risk management, we already know what to do. And then philosophically speaking, I've never thought DCT could work out. I'm on historical record saying on my podcast in 2020, 2019, 
saying, I don't think virtual trials and DCT can actually work for the majority of trials. This was an example for healthy volunteers where it theoretically could have worked because it's not that complicated. It's a healthy volunteer study. And it seemed like it was an outpatient vaccine study. <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, not sure what else. Um, I believe LinkedIn users, Dr. Fox, maybe not. <laughs> Need to have sites buy in first. Seems a lot of clinicians are definitely going downhill, and losing their intellectual curiosity. My mentor always told me he got out of teaching <clears throat> because of the curiosity for research. What I'm just noticing is clinician, the the independent private practice is dying. And what what is acquiring them are like large hospital systems. And I think that's bad because I think that opens up the opportunity for these kind of DCT or whatever you want to call it untraditional disruptive technologies to kind of merge as an attractive revenue generating business model and implement it at scale. And the way I've done business, call me old fashioned, but it's the slow way, one site at a time, one study at a time, one coordinator at a time. That's the only way I know how. Again, I'm probably not sophisticated enough to figure out how to do this 50 studies at a time when we don't even have physical sites. Uh, last comment, then I got to go. Technologies like eConsent, whilst they are DCT enabling, can bring value to traditional on-site studies. I use this. My traditional sites use eConsent, eSource, and eReg, enabling you to do consent at the initial visit on site, but the pivot to remote, yep, all that stuff. So... I don't know. I think the bubble popped, guys. I'm done. Dan out.